Um, yeah, welcome. Uh, got a couple announcements before we begin. First and foremost, we'll wait for everyone to chill. Yeah, no, not happening. Well, we're going to take a, a special contribution. This is the first day of our two-week uh, special contribution. We do this every year. Um, and I'll preach a hard sermon about giving after so that you don't feel guilted beforehand. You can decide whether you gave cheerfully or not. Um, but I did want Tyrus to come up and make a few announcements because um, we do quite a bit with benevolence uh, throughout the, uh, the year. And even when some of you guys are gone over the summer, we still have all our bills and things. And benevolence is one of those things that always sticks around. If you don't know what the word benevolence is, I don't either. It's just a word, a fancy word for giving to people who have needs in our community, all right? So Tyrus is going to come up and share a little bit about some of the needs that we've taken care of in the last month, and then I'll continue on. Great, fantastic. All right, hi, uh, Tyrus here. Uh, so yeah, like in this past month, um, just been able to help um, two people, not two people, a family um, and like a student, like just pay your rent, which is um, kind of like a necessity. Uh, if you don't get paid rent, you know, you get evicted. Uh, so really, it, it, nani. Uh, it really is just like a, a blessing to have um, like a church uh, and the funds to do that. Uh, me personally also, uh, I've had um, a couple times where I was um, short on rent uh, for whatever reason. Either I'm irresponsible huh, or I was out of a job uh, and it really did help uh, just to have um, like the, uh, just to get like a quick loan uh, for that to pay for rent. Uh, also just pay like little things like with groceries as well so like you're not like starving like at home or that just like waiting like for your next meal or anything like that um but yeah i really do encourage you guys uh to give um to that um because that is just a, a beautiful thing uh to have uh to receive um and just know that you're blessing other people how many of you have either accessed our benevolence fund at some point or have someone pretty close to you that you know has uh if you don't mind just yeah okay some people are like i'm not gonna tell you that I'm looking around like half of the people, you know, that's okay, fine. You know, you don't want to share, you know, well, you're going to be convicted by this sermon in a moment. Um, but anyway, that's a big deal that we do. And so, uh, again, we're going to take special contribution today. If you want to give something, uh, especially, you can, you can just put it in the general fund. You can put a note on the credit card. Uh, that's what you're giving for. Our goal uh, each year has kind of increased, but we think we're going to stick with our goal from last year, about 8000 So just uh, let us... Uh, um, Take a moment to pray for our offering, which is what we don't ever really do. We don't talk much about giving around here, but we are going to a little bit more today. I'll say a prayer for it and then pass it. Uh, Lord God, you give us uh, what we need. And uh, even though we live in a society where plenty are at above the level of what they need, uh, we can all look at where we're at compared to um, others and compared to the rest of the world. And we are incredibly uh, monetarily blessed uh, to have what we have. Give us the um, strength and dignity to um, be sacrificial in our giving and uh, to care more about uh, making sure that people are moving out of the desperate situations they're in than us moving into the financially stable situations that we think we need to be in. We love you, Lord. Amen. Um, you guys are going to mess everything up. Right. Mess everything up. F figure that out, okay? Uh, okay, the only other announcement that I was going to have uh, was that, you know, we'll start our summer small groups in January. Those groups are already fixed. J June. <laughs> All right, we're starting with that. It happens. Uh, we will. Never mind. June. And all of you college students who stick around for the summer, you're welcome to attend whatever meeting you want. 
Next week, we'll start putting that stuff up, uh, or probably put it on our Facebook page, although it's, I think, already there. You just have to dig through a couple. There's two groups on Tuesday, two groups on Wednesday. We really want you to come be a part of those groups. We're just going to read scripture aloud. There's no real, uh, you know, topical uh, series or anything. Just going to spend time, adults and college students, in those groups, reading scripture aloud. Every other week, uh, those groups get together. But probably over the summer, we will also start our meeting in family groups, I don't know what to call it, uh, the first Sunday of the month where the small groups and the college students will get together in lieu of this meeting uh, just together to do what they want to do. If that's to do a worship deal, if it's to do lunch or breakfast, whatever you want to do, uh, it's kind of up to your group to do that. All right? So that'll be starting in June. Looking forward to that. Uh, If this is the last time I get to say this, maybe for many of you who are headed home, uh, we'll miss you and uh, we'll be praying for you throughout our summer. And, uh, you know, heading home is kind of a tough thing sometimes for some of us, Uh, but uh, for those of you who uh, maybe aren't so great at uh, keeping up um, with uh, what we're doing or with your spiritual life at all over the summer, you just sort of disappear. Remember, we've always got podcasts and stuff on our webpage, uh, and, um, you know, you're welcome, particularly for those of you who aren't, like, really far away, but are in the Dallas area. We have a variety of other churches in the area, not to mention churches outside of our network that would be great, and we would love to see you participate wholly in that. And then, of course, Thursday night focus. I don't remember where it's meeting. Uh, Care Church in Richardson. So we've done a lot of events there. That's going to be Thursday nights. It's going to be pretty exciting. The topic over the summer is um, kind of adult discipleship and learning how to, uh, you know, to really uh, transition well and things like that. Uh, Yeah, so that'll be pretty cool. So stick... uh, Stick with the church, with the group while you're gone. Let us know if we can help you do that in any way. Um, but we're going to miss you, and, uh, and yeah, we'll see you next year. What? <laughs> Apparently, I think it's December. Uh, that's okay. So we're going to finish up today uh, on, in our sermon series, and I have a, uh, I think it's going to be a challenging, albeit maybe difficult topic to cover. I'm going to still do it in a short amount of time like I did last week, because that was pretty great. And... Um, and then the next three weeks, we're going to have sort of a comical and stupid uh, sermon series on the end game. I've not watched it yet, but I guess I'm going to have to this next week if I'm going to try to preach. So the sermon series will be called The End Game, while it's never really the end game. I have zero ideas of what I'm going to talk about. I'm just really tired of seeing it in my newsfeed, and uh, so I figured I would take uh, an opportunity to channel that energy into something positive. So somehow we'll talk about the end game, and I will tell you that I will do, probably include a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, just don't show up for three weeks, okay? If that's how much you care about in-game, all right, uh, then, yeah, that'll be a true test of your faith. Uh, so, anyway, great. So that's going to be the next three weeks after that, and then in June, Leslie will take over, uh, do her sermon series, and then I'll do one in July. All right, so here we are, Romans 14 through 15. That's uh, a very, very complicated passage. It's been misused a lot uh, over the years, and uh, so we've got quite a bit of digging to do to try to get back to some kind of semblance of what... Uh, the major point is, and how that would come back to, um, you know, our day and age, and what we uh, can learn from it. So, real quick, I'm going to give you the sermon title because this sermon title actually does matter, and it's just "Sacrifice is Strength, Security is for the Weak." All right, "Sacrifice is Strength, Security is for the Weak," and I'm going to fly through this really quickly because I'm not going to read all of it. It gets pretty involved, and I want to just highlight a few things and then move on to share. Uh, a couple points with you, okay? 
The sermon title originally was going to have something to do with giving taxes and economic freedom. I'm not going to talk about that near as much because I feel like it's too difficult to do from this passage, but I will make a few statements about it and then come back to what I think is kind of a summary of what we've been doing, uh, or at least a challenge that summarizes some of those ideas. All right? So, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. This is kind of interesting from the get-go. A weak faith, right? The scripture talks a lot about strong and weak faith. Uh, It even seems to suggest that faith uh, is, uh, we're giving a certain measure of faith by God. This is a very weird and kind of strange idea. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, but what actually makes someone's faith strong? We would tend to think it's experience or spirituality or things like that, but can it be other things like a simplicity of faith? Jesus talks about kids as having simple faith. They just sort of believe and trust and move on. Could it be depth of insight and study and sort of a brainy faith? Sure. Could it be that you have an opportunity to have more faith because you were around people who generally had more faith than you? There's kind of a lot of things here uh, that, uh, that I think could make us question what exactly does it mean to have strong or weak faith here. But I will make one distinction that I think is really, really helpful, and I love this idea. I was reading it in my Colossians NIVAC this week. So let me read it to you. Uh, And this is a differentiation of belief and faith, which I think will serve as kind of the main foundational uh, thing I want to express from this passage. So uh, this is written by David Garland. It's just the NIVAC commentary on Colossians. It's, uh, It's pretty short. He quotes this guy named Jesus Buckminster Fuller. Wait. Okay, he's got four names. Jesus. Wait. Oh, my, wow, I'm struggling. This is Jesus, period. Uh, and then it moves on to another name. So, R. Buckminster, which sounds a lot uh, more reasonable, Fuller, has said, let me give a pause for, yeah, okay. Faith is much better than belief. Belief is when someone else does the thinking. Okay, faith is much better than belief. Belief is when someone else does the thinking. That's pretty cool. I like this quote. I'm, I'm going to give you an example of this now. There's a really wonderful book, if you're into missionary stuff, uh, by uh, Vincent Donovan called, I think it's Reimagining, Rediscovering Christianity. I can't remember, but the whole book is about how this Catholic minister goes into a part of Tanzania and decides he's not going to bring his structures and, and the Western system of religious thought into how he's going to minister to the Maasai people. I can't really say that. I don't know how. Uh, which are a nomadic tribe in that area. They're all across Eastern Africa. And he learns a lot about what it means to really present the gospel to a people who have very similar, very dissimilar values than our own. And it's a wonderful book. If you're interested in reading like a classic for whatever reason, it's not long. It's very accessible. It's very interesting. I, I can't remember the title. You know me. I'm just glad I remember the guy's name, Vincent Donovan. That's pretty sweet. Reimagining Christianity, Rediscovering Christianity. Does anyone know? Has anyone read that book? Oh, you all are losers. Um, that's sad. Uh, so anyway, he, he, in talking about this differentiation between faith and belief, gives this example, which is like pretty extreme and intense, but it, I'm just going to give it to you because uh, here we go. So he's trying to teach the word faith by, you know, putting into their language some scriptural ideas and things like that. And so um, the uh, uh, elder in the Messiah said that the word chosen was not really a great term based on what he had learned from Donovan about faith, because the word translated in their language to simply, I agree with it, or to agree to something. 
And so then the elder went on to say, here's a better illustration that might uh, make sense uh, for our people. So he said that it was similar to a white hunter shooting an animal with his gun from a great distance. Okay? Only his eyes and fingers took part in the act. We should find another word. Okay? He said, for a man really to believe is like a lion going after his prey. His nose, eyes, ears pick up the prey. His legs give him the speed to catch it. All the power of his body is involved in the terrible death leap and single blow to the neck with the front paw, the blow that actually kills. And as the animal goes down, the lion envelops in its arms, pulls it to himself, and makes it a part of himself. This is the way the lion kills. This is a way a man believes this is what faith is. Kind of an interesting idea. I'm going to move on from that. But the idea is simply that in belief, we use a tool that's already been given to us by someone else to do something from afar. It's passive. But in reality, faith is something way more involved with that that involves all of us, encompasses all of us. Uh, and I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, illustration and analogy, and so I, I shared it with you. So faith uh, being all-encompassing. I think about that story when I think about uh, David and Goliath. You think about uh, Daniel in the di- di- uh, lion's den. I mean, this was not shoot from afar. This was faith in his own body to be able to rescue, you know, uh, and I, I say body. It wasn't like... You know, I got faith in my body, but faith in God that God was going to release his body from this, this sort of danger or whatever else. So faith and belief, here we go. So as we move uh, forward, kind of use that definition of faith in the back of your mind. I think that'll help you maybe a little bit more. So accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man's whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. As you can see, being a vegan is a sinful thing, Okay. Vegetarian veganism means you have weak faith. I mean, it's, it's the main thing I wanted to teach today. So uh, know that you guys needed to hear this. So the man who eats anything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Okay, so a couple of things. First. If you read through 1 Corinthians 6, Paul seems to be making a 180 here. He says we absolutely have to judge each other all the time as Christians. What we ought not do is judge the world outside of us. So how then can he uh, say in this passage where we shouldn't be judging other people? Well, the biggest difference between the two is disputable matters, right? In the case of 1 Corinthians, some dude was sleeping with his mother-in-law. That's not a disputable matter. If that becomes a disputable matter in your mind, I think you've lost all bearing for ethical living and understanding of the world around them. In fact, Paul says you guys are worse than the people around you. Not even they do that kind of crazy stuff. So Paul is saying that we ought not judge each other in, in gray area matters. And I think if we're honest, it's funny, we have a tendency probably to judge each other in gray area matters more than judging each other with the black and white issues. And that's kind of an interesting thought, but I'll just put it there to the side. He goes on to talk about these special days and all these other things. And the group that he's speaking to here, most likely, although there is some conjecture, is a group of Jewish Christians who've converted, who still want to follow the law, which is one of the big, big deals we see throughout Romans and throughout the other uh, epistles, and can't quite release themselves to be truly free in their faith, and therefore believe from faith that they still ought to keep some of the Old Testament commands and laws. Okay? So that's the backdrop here. You've got to kind of know that to, to translate some of what else is going on. So 
uh, one com- uh, day considers one day more sacred than another. In verse 5, another man considers every day alike. Each should w- uh, be convoli- com- whoa, fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, and we do these things to the Lord. None of us lives to himself alone. And he goes on into these other things. Pick up in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, which is a huge statement for someone who grew up in the environment he grew up in, okay? But we'll just put that aside. Uh, If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Now, a lot of people have misinterpreted that uh, statement there as, well, if I think it's good, people shouldn't speak evil about it. No, he's saying, don't consider the freedom you would have in Christ to be so important that people begin to, to see you as doing evil behavior as a result of exercising your freedom. But we'll move on. Um, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved. So make every effort to, lead to, uh, to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, which is so silly. Uh, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We've got to please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And he goes on to say that, you know, Jesus himself took on all these insults, quoting there from David. And, um, and I won't finish off that, in, that entire passage. But I just want to make a couple points, okay? The idea that Paul is laying out here, which is an incredibly important idea, is the idea that true faith is always sacrificial, Okay? It's not a faith that feels secured in its position. And sometimes we've really gotten this wrong because we think that faith actually means really being secure with what we believe and what we think and having all of the answers figured out. And in reality, that is not what Paul is talking about here. Not, I mean, he's really talking about having faith in God directly, but being willing to, to take the things that we believe and know and put them aside for the sake of somebody else. So, how do we know what to sacrifice? Okay? How do we know when something that we approve of in a gray matter, in a disputable matter, is something that we ought to sacrifice for someone else's good? Well, a lot of times, if you've read this passage or heard about this passage, uh, most people will talk about alcohol. Well, don't drink, because if you drink, you're going to cause someone to stumble. That is one of the worst misuses of this passage, considering Paul is not addressing vices or sins in this at all. The Jewish Christians aren't sinning by following special days or uh, eating, not eating meat. They're, they don't have like a propensity to be gluttonous meat eaters. And so Paul is saying, you know, listen, these guys are some real gluttons. You got to just, you know, bear with them because their faith is weak. Okay. So this example of the alcohol, which is kind of the only time I usually hear this passage preached, it's on this idea of like abstaining from alcohol so that you don't put a stumbling block in someone's way. The stumbling block is not based on sin here. Paul's simply saying some people believe certain things that others are free to do, but it does not go along with their faith. And if it does not go along with their faith, you ought not push them to try to believe it or think it just because you and your approval of it think it's right and okay to do. 
In fact, what's so interesting about this passage is Paul does not chastise the people who have weak faith here. Okay? I mean, in some sense, he's calling them kind of immature and that they need to grow up on those things. But in another, the command here is not for the weaker, it is for the stronger. To sacrifice what they think is perfect, good, right, whatever, for the sake of their brother and sister. That's a really kind of powerful idea, considering that we tend to think, okay, well, the stronger of the two ought to lead the weaker of the two in sort of the right behavior and whatever else. But let's get down to sort of the meat of of what I want to say here, okay? Strength is not exerting control over gray matters, okay? The kind of control that helps me feel secure in what I believe, secure in what I'm practicing, but sacrificing the rights for the sake of others, I want to shift gears here a tiny bit, okay? And I want to talk a little bit about sort of uh, what Colossians talks about, the four basic principles of the world. And I want to think about this primarily from the perspective of capitalism and the idea that like what supports our sense of capitalism and government in our society. I think there's three things and they're pretty easy. Number one is security. We want security. We want to wake up, feel secure in our belonging, in our belongings, the stuff that we have, and our ideas, whatever it is. We want security. We are slaves for security. Okay? Even if that security is thin ice painted like concrete, I don't think that's possible. Um, We want security. And we will often make decisions that uh, trades a quick amount of security for some kind of more sure and founded security later on that we've got to sort of work for and maybe it's going to be uneasy and maybe we're not going to know. But we want security. For many of us, money is the easiest thing for us to feel secure in our lives. Just think about how much we spend thinking, uh, time we think about, uh, time we spend thinking about money. And I'm talking to a church of most of you who don't have like 50 or $100 in your savings account. And you think that if I could just get 500, 1,000, 1,500, I'm really going to be pretty secure. I'm going to feel like every day I wake up, I, I, I'm kind of secure in my livelihood. Nothing wrong with security at all. But the problem is we have this tendency, as all people do, to sacrifice some kind of more founded foundational security for quick security, quick ideas of what it's going to be mean to be secure. This is what explains so much of our relationships in our society today. We gravitate around people who we feel secure around. And even though the, the actual foundation of those relationships is ice thin, we feel secure in those friendships we have. As soon as you start spending time with people who are very different than you, who have different beliefs than you, different ideas to you, uh, than you, you feel like you've got no security, nothing to stand on, no level plane. And even though there's a foundation being built of security there in that relationship, it just doesn't often feel very secure. Well, that's our society. We've got this idea that we've got to have security. Security allows us not to have to question things and allows us not to have to trust people. When you look at the bottom part of our society economically, they spend a whole lot more time around other people, not because they're friendly, but because it's necessity. When you don't have money, you've got to rely on people around you to babysit your kids, to help out with bills, to do whatever they're willing to give you. The more you have, the less you've got to trust people. And in some ways, the more you expect them not to have to trust you, right? I mean, there's a sort of like a side part of this. When I feel like I don't need anyone else's help, I also sort of gradually over time feel like no one else should really need my help. I mean, I kind of figured it out. I don't really need help. Other people shouldn't. So this idea of security is a huge thing for us and one that uh, 
uh, we, we have a tough time with. The second one, as a basis for this system, okay, is control and power. I want to get my way. At the end of the day, th I think this is how it should be, and I want to get my way. And of course, money kind of has an overlapping thing with this. The more money I have, maybe the more control, power. That's not one I need to talk about a lot. I think we all sort of figure that out. And then the last one is just sort of stuff. Because you know, it's not enough to have security and control and power unless you get to show people that you have security and control and power. Just having it for your, the sake of yourself kind of becomes not enough. We want to express the stuff that we have to other people. I mean, whether it's ideas, whether it's the, you know, the car that I drive, whether it's the house I have, the area I live in, it's important that we, and some of this goes back to that security from belonging, what else, blah, blah, blah. But we want to express ourselves and show stuff off. What have I learned? What have I done? Well, why does that matter at all? It matters because Paul is absolutely dashing in this section all three of those things that we pursue. He's saying that if you really want to have faith, the kind of faith that goes beyond believing something from afar, shooting an animal with a gun, but encompasses your entire life, you pretty much have to give up on all three of those things as of primary importance. And in relationships, absolutely, that has to go. This security from feeling like, I'm right, I know what's going on, goes out the window the closer you try to get to people, the more you try to help them. Control, power over other people's lives is a silly idea the closer you get to some another human being. To think that you really can exert control over or power over them. The stuff part of things, come on. The more someone gets to know you, the more they see through that facade of the things that you show off to try to make your identity unique and try to express all these great things you are. Paul is utterly dashing in this strange passage that people don't seem to be able to apply, those three pillars of how we live our lives. Security, control and power, and expressing uh, through the things that we belong. And so he's uprooting this. And he's making uh, us understand that strong faith, the kind of faith that he wants, is the kind of faith that's much more willing to deal with the gray area matters like that and the things that we don't have much control over and be able to give those up to God and say, God, you figure it out. For now, I'm going to do what's in this person's best interest. Most of us just don't live like that. It's what keeps us apart. It's what does a whole lot of damage even in our financial lives. One of the things that's, that's probably most amazing to me in sociology that we studied through is that poor people give almost twice as much as the middle class does to charitable organizations. The rich are right after that, okay? And then the middle class are the least giving even though they're the largest group. Why is that? I only could experience this as I started getting more money in my life. Because the more money you get, the more you rely on that security, and the less you deal with anything that will threaten that security. You just don't want to mess with it, Right? You just simply don't want to uh, allow anything to threaten the kind of security you have in your finances. But this is kind of problematic to me in the sense that I've, I've often wondered why it is that us millennials give less than our parents' generation. What is it about them? Because honestly, we're poorer than they are. So it would follow that if we're poor in general, we should be more giving than the people around us, right? I mean, we should just, or than the people before us. It comes back to, in my mind, at least the best I can possibly guess on this, is that number one, our generation has been very insecure in almost every aspect of their lives, in beliefs, in financial situations, and so anything that again threatens that security uh, is going to be a huge sort of no-no um, in, uh, 
in terms of, of what's going on. So what does Paul say? His final word on this topic is to sacrifice what it is that we think best, what we think is right and approvable and okay in any and every relationship if it's a debatable matter. That's what he's going to say. That's the final word that he gives on this issue. I've been trying my mind all week almost to think of an example of what this is possibly could look like in our society, and I have failed radically. I don't know if any of you guys have one. I mean, you know, we can maybe do like cursing, but I think cursing is probably not a really great example. The guy in the book that I was reading does playing cards. Not so sure that fits. But here's where I want to go with this, and this is my sort of final thing I want to leave you with. And I don't think the application is perfect in any way, okay? I don't think the application is like really, really easy uh, as a crossover because I think people are going to sort of disagree with it. But when I think about this sort of debatable topic, one of the things that keeps coming back to my mind is this LGBTQ, whatever other letters there are, issues that a lot of us have talked about and thought about today. And what do we do with that? Because we have a lot of people in our church uh, who have a lot of varied perspectives on this. We also have gay Christians as a part of our church. And so what do we do with this idea? One of the things that I think I've seen is us, for the most part, display a weak of, uh, a lack of faith in talking about this issue. A kind of faith that jumps towards security first, being secure in the position that I'm in, knowing what I approve of and what's right, and operating out of that assumption, rather than being able and being willing to talk about this from the perspective of how does it impact people in, in their faith, and is this ultimately coming from my faith? One thing in particular a lot of us tend to be pretty liberal in our viewpoints on things. And as I've started talking more and more to people, the LGBT kind of deal, the affirming gay Christian seems to be a non sequitur for most of you. They're like, yeah, what's the problem? What's the big deal about it? There's nothing big about it. And my question to you is, why is that uh, true to you? Where did you come up with that idea? Is it something that you believe in faith? Or is it something that you simply are secured in your position in because it's what you believe and it sort of fits with how you feel comfortable? One of the things that I've seen, at least in our conversations about this, is too few people have interacted with gay Christians in our church, both affirming and non-affirming gay Christians, to use the words that Matthew Vines writes in his sort of famous book, and have not thought about this from how this affects them, how this affects uh, how they think about God, we simply come down with a position and are unwilling to do anything outside of have our opinion and that's what I do. Or we might just not talk about it at all. But some of you, particularly those of you who've decided you're going to affirm people in their gay Christian relationships, need to think through how that impacts people in our church who are gay and don't affirm gay Christian relationships. You need to rethink that perspective. Because too many of us, like this passage, we want to exert our rights, exert our influence, be secure in what we want to believe, but don't really think through what kind of stumbling blocks we're putting in people's ways. And I could say the reverse, but I don't think that's the position that most of us are in in our church, uh, is we've got to think through that. So that's my best attempt, okay, at trying to make this issue. And it's not completely perfect, because, again, the application uh, might, not, uh, might not really apply here uh, directly. But sacrificing... Uh, it, it, our ideas, our beliefs, our comfortable spots uh, for the sake of other people's faith is where strength comes from. 
falling back on security of what we believe and what we want and all the things that maybe paint that picture that we're pretty good are ultimately going to be uh, what Paul calls weak in this area. All right, questions? I know it was a little all over the place, but it happens sometimes, particularly when you're dealing with a difficult issue. Questions, thoughts, responses? No? All right, we're going to do communion. And uh, you guys know how we do communion around here. We uh, have three people in the back, and they have uh, the, uh, the juice and the bread, and you dip those in, and uh, then we'll come back, and David's going to lead us in uh, some singing. Lord God, uh, thank you for um, giving us faith, uh, challenging us in our faith, um, for accepting us as weak, and, uh, and putting people around us who uh, will challenge that. Pray that this difficult passage would, uh, would sink into our minds, uh, that we um, could more clearly see uh, where we've sacrificed faith for security, uh, where we've sacrificed um, dealing with issues from the perspective of what's best for people and instead accepted pat answers, been given tools and beliefs that come from elsewhere. Lord, just uh, help us see those things. Help us use uh, that the insights that we get from your word and our relationships, to be able to challenge our faith. Lord, we as Christians want to have faith in you. We want to trust you. Uh, we want to go beyond just the, uh, the beliefs that we have about you and, uh, and truly live a life um, following you and in interaction with you. Um, I pray for those who are headed home over the summer that their summer would be really fruitful, um, that you would grow them spiritually um, and humility and in bearing the kind of fruit that you have for them and to grow them in their faith, Lord. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.